The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, welcoming you back from the hiatus. I hope you had time to catch up on past episodes and to rest and recharge for the year ahead. Kicking off our new season is former Kansas congressman, senator, governor, and ambassador-at-large for international religious religious freedom, Sam Brownback. And joining me for the conversation, his friend and our executive director, Bob Inglis. We cover a host of issues from the energy, environment, economy triangle to Senator Brownback's pioneering work in the Senate on wind energy. Coming up next, our conversation with Sam Brownback. Welcome back, listeners. We're so excited to have you here for today's conversation with former Senator, Governor, Ambassador. You've had all the jobs, Sam Brownback, and our very own Bob Inglis. Gentlemen, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Chelsea. Pleasure to join you. Bob, good to see you, dear old friend. Well, it's good to see you too. We're next time in person, I hope. Now we're just on Zoom, but uh, uh, soon in person. Yes, yes. Well, Senator, I'm sorry, I used to work in the Senate when you were in the Senate, so I'm always going to call you Senator. If you prefer ambassador or a different um, title, please let me know. But I was really excited when Bob mentioned that he had talked to you and that you were um, happy to come on the show because I think of you as one of the pioneers of the wind industry in the U.S. And especially living in Kansas, which is really um, owning the wind market right now, I thought maybe you could talk about your original interest in this back when you were in the Senate. And, you know, Kansas just celebrated its 20th anniversary, I think, of its first major wind turbine. So happy birthday to (laughs) wind energy in Kansas. But do tell us all. Well, thanks. And thanks for saying that. And I just thought it was kind of one of these uh, no brainers. Uh, And then it goes back for me even further. My dad and the farm, the little farm in eastern Kansas, he grew up on their first electricity was a wind generator. Uh, And they didn't have any prior to that. And they had this little wind generator that would power a light, uh, a radio. And then they had a very low low utility vacuum sweeper. I mean, it, I don't think it had much suction at all, but it's a, you know, it was a vacuum sweeper and that was powered off this little wind generator that they had that the little tower is still on the, my grandparents' uh, old farm. Uh, and, you know, it worked, got, got things going uh, to the modern industry that I looked at and I thought, wow, we've just got all this wind capacity. We need to generate electricity And then Senator Grassley and some others came forward with an idea of a tax credit uh, to do this. And, you know, as I say, kind of the rest is history. We've had in Kansas now uh, over $11 billion of rural investment off of wind. We're the second uh, state, second highest percent of wind energy of any state in the country, second only to Iowa. We did it without any state subsidy. 
Iowa did a bunch of state subsidy on theirs. We didn't do any of it. We just tried to provide a decent atmosphere for it. Uh, and the thing just really exploded. And, and I think as you get more cables moving some of the electricity to, to load centers, you'll have even a lot more wind electricity coming out of Kansas. And the people generally like it. Uh, it's in less developed areas, more sparse areas in Western Kansas generally. Uh, it's just a great solution. Uh, and I, I was pleased to be able to be one of the early supporters and pioneers of it. Did, you must did, have overtaken Texas recently, right? Because I think for a while, Texas was, had overtaken Iowa, but maybe you, uh, Kansas got their elbows in there and nudged those numbers back in your favor. Well, as a percent of electricity generated oh, out right, of right, right, right. Okay. total, we're yep. fifth in total uh, okay. wind energy, but uh, we'll hit uh, all right about 40, over 40% 40 of our total electric generation on a yearly basis will be out of wind. We just recently, actually a little higher than that, and we just recently passed coal as our basic uh, source and the wind energy keeps growing. I mean, what's amazing about wind is that it doesn't run out. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. here. We yeah. it. You know, even the state of Kansas is named after the Kansas Indians, which for the Indian, that that the word Kansas means people of the south wind. So it was even blowing on them, you know, all the time. And they were saying, oh, you're the south wind people uh, because you got all this this wind all the time. And now we can harvest it. Yeah, Sam, when you were doing that pioneering work in the cynic, how 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 was it received? I mean, did it take a while for it to catch on or was it uh, what, what was your what was the reaction among uh, Republican colleagues, especially? Uh, it wasn't positive initially, Bob. It was kind of seemed like, yeah, this is a lefty agenda and, and they're going to be pushing something negative with it. And the utility companies, interestingly enough to me early on, my own home state ones didn't didn't like it. They didn't trust it. We can't, you don't know when the wind's going to blow. We don't, not sure we can harvest it consistently to put in. They know what coal does. They know how to fire up a coal fired power plant, but the, the utilities, they changed. They went, no, 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 no. Now they're, Hey, we're all for wind. And a lot of my Republican and conservative colleagues are too. We started with a subsidy. I mean, it was really that 30% tax credit for wind energy that made the thing just explode. Uh, and a lot of Republicans didn't like that, even though that's a Republican solution, obviously, often is a tax credit route to go. And it worked. And it, then it's private sector investment that came in that built all these utilities. And we didn't have to have a spread this out over the pricing of the electricity. Uh, generally, they just these private sector groups built the wind power and then sold it uh, to the utilities to distribute. And so you didn't have to socialize the cost of your plants. Uh, it was paid back over their investment. It's a, it's a beautiful model. And, and it's been extraordinarily effective on reducing CO2 emissions. Right. Sure. And, and I think that today, well, this stat is probably a little outdated, but I know that AWEA, the American Wind, and Wind Energy Association, at one point had a statistic that 80% of wind generation was in red districts. So Republican controlled 
districts. And I think that that is really phenomenal too for building capital, right? When when other lawmakers, policymakers see that something's working and they see the economic development and they see that people like it and are embracing it, then it feels a little safer to say, okay, we could try that here too. Yeah, I think that's a good part of it. And plus, as a, as a guy raised on a farm of former Secretary of Agriculture in Kansas, to find rural investment is hard. I mean, you can get urban investment and, and you got things working, but to find rural and not only just find $11 billion of rural investment in the state of Kansas, we haven't seen that since the, uh, the land rush, uh, the Homestead Act, probably uh, in real dollars. That's and maybe not even that. Uh, that's that's that may well be the largest rural investment uh, we've ever, ever seen outside of agriculture. Do you, what opportunities do you see for the agriculture community in Kansas um, and across the U.S. to really engage in policies to reduce greenhouse gases? I know many years ago when I was working for Senator John Warner, we were talking to farmers at the time about um, carbon sinks and credit that they could get for how they tilled their land and so forth. Do you think that those types of um, opportunities are still on the table or that level of engagement, or is there something newer now as time has progressed? I, I think that's there and it's starting to become a reality where before it was kind of, well, this is kind of an interesting idea. Couldn't we do this? Yes. Uh, well, how would we do it? Well, the, nobody really knew. Well, now it's starting to come some reality to it where people are trying are figuring out, okay, actually, here's how you measure it. Here's how you farm for carbon. Uh, but it's still, it's very small. I think the near term, really big one that exists is on methane capture uh, and electric production out of methane. But it, again, don't do it by regulation. Don't regulate the agriculture industry on methane. Do a tax credit for methane electric production. And then people aren't going to fight you over it. They're going to say, well, wait a minute, let me look at that. How does that work? You know, and well, wait a minute, I can make some money uh, off of this, off of capturing the methane from a large cattle feed yard or a hog operation or dairy operation. And methane is that one that's really near term, a major, major issue. I was actually going to ask if for our listeners who aren't familiar with what a methane digester is, and, and that word only comes to mind because over the weekend, I pulled that one out of the vault. I was talking to somebody about farms and they said something about cows and methane. And I just had this little light bulb that I remembered about methane digesters. What do they do? How do they work for those listeners who don't know? The uh, uh, It's pretty simple concept. You take the, the manure uh, from a major livestock operation uh, and you put it in a, a fairly enclosed, generally it's a large rubber balloon bag. I mean, I'm talking football field large uh, in some cases. Uh, and then as the methane pull comes off of it, you siphon that methane off. You have to dehydrate it some because it's got a lot of moisture in it. Uh, and then you burn it for electric production or for something else. It's, so it's, it's a fairly you know, simple process, but methane being the greenhouse gas and the power that it has a greenhouse gas as it is, it's really key. The thing that really troubled me, this has probably been 12, 15 years ago that I saw the first regulations of methane on livestock coming. And they said, we want to regulate 
feed yards over 25,000 or 50,000 head. Uh, and we want to put a price tag and a cost on this. And I just go, no, no, no. People are going to fight you on this. They don't want to do that. But if you just say, we'll do a 30% production tax credit on methane digesters, they'll invest in it themselves uh, and do it. So there, there really is a much better way that people will do these things freely if you'll if you'll work with them you're speaking our language <laughs> that's yes that's right because i like to tell people sam that we uh, at republicen.org sort of break out in hives when you mention the word regulations you know i mean we sort of uh, we start itching all over we think that's let's let's talk about something besides regulations and you know to be clear for folks is if burning that methane turns it into co2 but co2 is not as bad as a greenhouse gas at that moment as that methane. So uh, the converting it from methane to natural gas really, uh, or to, from methane to CO2 really helps us. Um, um, so, uh, and you would hope that it would become, like you said, Sam, a, a profit-making opportunity for uh, rural America at that point. You know, I mean, let's, these are the people that are feeding us. We need them to do well. And here's a way for them to turn real trash into some treasure, you know? I mean, that's pretty amazing when you can do that. Oh, it is. And it, it, and it fits into me, Bob. I, these are the sort of elegant where you, solutions where people want to do what's yeah. the right thing. You just got to make it possible for them. I mean, and if, and if they can, they will. Uh, they'll work with you. But if you're going to force, if you're going to fight them or you're going to say, we're going to shut all you guys down, that's yeah. our objective here. Then what what option do I have but to fight you? This is my yeah. livelihood. This is for my family. This is my entire region is dependent upon this. We're going to fight you. Uh, and if you if you said, no, 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 we don't we don't want to do it that way. Uh, I no, I, I just and I look at it as an ag guy from a, a farm state as, guys, what about the use of the, the technology for us to be able to produce and to produce some of these solutions? And, and we, we want to do that. I, yeah. uh, I think these are they're exciting prospects, uh, frankly, if you put them in those frames and not just we're after shutting you guys down. Well, you want people to feel like they're part of the solution, not part of the problem. Absolutely. We uh, now we did while well, I was governor because this is new technology on on dry lot live on dry lot cattle to do a methane digester. Just people, well, hadn't been able to figure out how do we deal with the dirt and the sand and all this, and we subsidized the development of one pretty good size one that didn't work. Uh, I mean, it worked for a little while and then they just shut it down and went on and you're just going, okay. I mean, that's kind of the nature of the early development on some of these things, but you shouldn't quit at that. And you, which is really brings me to a second point on this. To me, one of the best things we can do is invest in the research and developing the technology as a, as a, as a solution. That's one of the most cost-effective things. If you could figure out <clears throat> how do we make these dry lot large-scale agriculture uh, operations be able to collect methane in a legitimate cost-effective way that's that's worth a lot of money yeah. <laughs> and we should do it and we should fund the research to do it 
We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. I have teenagers and so I'm around young people a lot. And when they express their concerns about climate change, I try to assure them that I think there is a lot of money to be made in the solutions. So they they don't have to, people are not going to let the world come to an end if there is a way to innovate and um, and make a dollar for yourself and hopefully for others, then, you know, I think we can innovate our way out of the climate crisis. It, it's the way it's going to happen. <clears throat> whether whether people decide, whatever route they decide they're going to go, the real way that's going to be solved is going to be through innovation breakthrough and, and generally through a growing economy. That's the other piece. I mean, you know, if you've got a growing economy, you've got more money to do these things with. That's a key, key piece of it. And as I'm saying to Bob on the phone, to me, when you're doing solutions on problems like this from a conservative viewpoint, you, you're always you're looking at how do you balance the three E's, energy, the environment uh, and and the economy. You, you've got they've got to be an economic solution. And I was telling Bob, it's like balancing a triangle piece of cardboard on a pencil. You can kind of you, 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 can, you can push one one way or the other, but you can't do this and shut your economy down. You can't do this and shut your energy industry down. You can't do this and kill your environment. You got to, these have got to move somewhat together in a balanced fashion. Uh, but progress can be made if we've got a, a will. And what I so appreciate of you guys is to have a conservative solution to a very real issue that we have in the world today and not just saying we're not going to, we're not going to talk about it. Senator yeah. Warner used to call that a three-legged stool. You had to have balance in your three-legged stool. Otherwise, you're trying to sit on it and you're going to topple over. Yeah. Well, and you, well, it won't work. Yeah. And, you know, Sam, it's uh, something that uh, really what you're describing there, too, as a conservative solution is, is really something about biblical accountability, right? I mean, if I can't, under biblical law, I can't do something on my property that harms you or your property. That became English common law was then adopted as American common law. It's really quite a bedrock principle that, mm -hmm. you know, just bring accountability. It's something that I think conservatives are really good at is understanding that, you know, it's gotta, you gotta have accountability. Uh, you can't have any free riders, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure that people are paying for what they take. If you do good things happen. If you don't, all kinds of havoc results. And that's sort of the climate change is that havoc, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I just, I think too, we as conservatives, we've got to put forward solutions and tell people we care about this set of problems. That's something that I've been critical of my own movement, my own uh, conservative movement is that, you know, at times we'll just kind of dig our heels in and just say, we're just not going to talk about that. Uh, that's, that's not an issue. Um, race relations, just okay. We're just we're just not going to talk about it. And you just go, no, it's a real problem. This is a real issue for the society. Now we've got a different set of solutions that will actually work. The other piece of conservatism is it's got to actually work. If it yeah. doesn't, if it doesn't work, then that's not a solution. You can't just use the mighty power of the government to change something. It, it's got to actually work for people's lives. Uh, for it to be a, be a solution. 
Yeah, and surely climate is one of the, another one of those cases. You're right about race because uh, that is something that seems to me, particularly as people of faith, we should be able to admit that, right? And and have a supply, a reservoir of grace that we can repair to, to uh, get an absolution, and uh, and then move on redeemed and sort of corrected. And uh, same thing on climate. You know, if you have that sense that hey, there's a there's a way to get out of this, you know, uh, no, yes, bring accountability, here's some solutions. And by the way, it offers redemption. And that's, that's really pretty great. You know, that's a, a great delivery of uh, conservatism, really. Uh, because as you say, quite often, the solutions of the big government solutions end up with uh, people maybe in bondage, you know, to uh, some sort of uh, government program that isn't really working for them. Yeah, doesn't work for them. And plus, I think, Bob, we've got to just say, to tell people we do care about these these topics. Uh, you know, the old political saw that uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, I, I think for too long, we've said to, about environmental issues in general, well, you know, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it uh, or which is translated to a lot of people as so you don't really care. Uh, and I think we've got it. To, no, we care about this. And we, here's our set of solutions to deal with the, the true issues that we have of the day. Now, don't blow them up and don't make them different than what they are. Or don't set up straw men that you just knocked down and you're doing it for political purposes. It's a real problem. It's a real issue. And here's a real solution. And then, then people will listen if they, they really believe you care. Yeah. And I, I was encouraged by, by our previous conversations and uh, what you said here before we started recording, you know, about how it's coming around. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell us about that. Do you, you sense it? I mean, do you, you sense, uh, we surely do at republician.org sense that conservatives are coming around, but do you, you find that uh, people are opening themselves up to the idea of offering solutions on climate? I, I think it's coming to the point, Bob, where if we don't have solutions on this, you're not going to be able to win in the suburbs. You're not going to be able to win young conservatives. Uh, you might be able to get an older crowd, but that's going to be a shrinking pool that you're appealing to. Uh, and then just the other thing from a selfish motiv uh, motivation, um, if we don't put our solutions forward, we're going to be stuck with these high expense less than optimal or effective regulatory uh, solutions that the left is going to horse on us just because we don't care enough to put something forward. And people really want, they want, they want these issues addressed. They want them dealt with. Now they'll do it. However you put forward. And, and I just think our solutions are so much superior to effectiveness and getting it actually done. And at the least cost, which is, is what we ought to be about as policymakers. But I, I think it's coming politically to a point you're not going to be able to appeal uh, to suburban audiences and, and younger audiences if you don't bring forward legitimate solutions in these categories. Yeah, you know, sometimes I say, if we're really honest, don't you think as conservatives, we, we apparently didn't have a great, a great alternative social security or to Medicare, or maybe even to Obamacare. You know, we, we, we sort of didn't come forward with winning alternatives. And on climate, 
that's where we are. I mean, we need to get there. This is the opportunity to prove that free enterprise really works because America will take something over nothing when they decide they've got a problem. And we're in the process of deciding we got a problem on climate change. And so if we fail to show up to the competition of ideas, well, get ready for a regulatory solution. That suboptimal situation you were describing, Sam. Or a big government solution. Uh, I remember being a young member in the uh, Senate uh, proposing moving to private accounts and Social Security, which would have been far more effective for people and a much better investment. And you talk about a lot more secure than what Social Security currently is. Uh, but, you know, by that point in time, the you know, horse was out of the barn. It just it wasn't going to happen. And so this is your solution. And this is suboptimal at, at best. So yeah. I, I you're, that's a beautiful thought, Bob. I had not I had not thought of it in that category. Yeah, because we really need to get there before, you know, we, we just fail. If you don't show up with competition ideas, well, the other side, you know, you, 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 you don't even have a, a, a horse in the, in the race, you know? I mean, so we really need to get there with the ideas at work. And uh, that's what, of course, we try to do at RepublicEn.org. We think that conservatives are possessed of an inferiority complex that is very undeserved that they think they're no good on energy and climate. So like you were saying earlier, they sort of, I don't want to talk about that. No, no, you're very good. Raise your hand in class. You're the kid with the answer. You know, I mean, just- All those, the young kids do know, right? And they do, they they raise their hands. And I think that is what gives me hope at the end of the day that that, um, for my kids' generation, the issue of climate change transcends party. So they don't have the polarization um, and they all have- they all have ideas on solutions and maybe with age, they will grow wiser on what those solutions should be. You know, and Bob, I think people reward you politically too on this. Um, when I was governor of Kansas, uh, one of the big problems we had was the Ogallala aquifer being drained in Western Kansas. And it's underlies the Western third of the state and our biggest agriculture sector of cattle is built on this fossilized water and we were draining the thing in a period of 100 years we were going to use up almost all of the uh, accessible water uh, that it that it accumulated there over time and, and i just i'm looking at this i'm going guys we can't do this this will just kill this thing and so we went from a development water policy to a conservation policy we allowed people instead of a use it or lose it which was the the the, the actual law we said, no, if you conserve it, you can keep it uh, under your land. We gave them a five-year allocation. So if you don't really need to use the water this year, roll it to the next year, roll it to the year after that. We started showing them if you preserve the water under your land, your land values are going to rise. And now you've got probably half of the area over the Ogallala Aquifer in or near a sustainable use of the Ogallala Aquifer. And this was something that people told me previously was not doable. You, you could not, this would not happen. You, you, we have to demand enough use of the aquifer, pull it enough that you're just not going to be able to use it on a sustainable basis. And you give people the legal options. You open up the space of what they could do. You show them the economic benefits that they get. 
changes. Yeah, that's such a great example. You, you, you and I have talked about that before. It really is a neat story about how that came about and how you overcame the opposition to it, right? I mean, it was like you were like, people were a little bit wondering about you probably. What, what's happened to Sam? You know, has he gone liberal on us or something? And actually you decide, you, you were able to show them, that, you know, actually conservation and conservative have something in common. They do. I mean, this is the Teddy Roosevelt uh, view of the, the party, but I, I just, I think we can, it's your point about we can win these battle of ideas if we'll get on the field. We don't want to be on the field a lot of times, or we think that's the left's topic, and you just go, no, it's not. We've got the better answer here. And they think if we admit it's a problem, then you're going to have to take the left's solution. No, it is a problem, and theirs is a terrible answer. It stinks. But here's one that will actually work for you. And, and it took us on the water issue a lot of meetings with farmers in western Kansas and, and telling them, uh, you know, this is what we're going to do. And then some of them would come up to me and say, look, why don't you just regulate the whole thing? Why don't you just tell us all we can only use six inches of water a year and then that's fair for everybody and it's all done. You know, the heavy regulatory hand approach and says, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, you know, first it wouldn't work. Second, there'd be all sorts of lawsuits uh, over here. You're taking my water, it's a property right. You can't, uh, you can't do that. Uh, third, I, I didn't agree with you. I didn't vote for you anyway. And so I'm gonna fight you just off of that. And then fourth, I may just cheat on you and I may just pump water and you won't know about it because you aren't going to have enough regulators out here to figure this out, all of which was true. But if you, you have them solve it and you give them the tools to do it and you show them why we really have to do this, they solved it simply themselves. Well, I think that that is a wonderful note to wrap up on. I just think that having that that message to conserve is conservative and we talk to each other we listen to each other we can find a way own the uh admit the problem so that we can own part of the solution and get on that field we all need to get on that field i agree thanks chelsea thanks bye thank you guys for carrying the banner on this for so long and taking the blows uh for uh for a long period of time i, I it's just a great service that you're providing and i like I said, I think I think you're uh, you're coming into your own at this point where a lot of people are going to be looking to you and say, now, what have you guys been saying and how are we going to do this? So get ready. Price, Happy New Year. It's so nice to be here with you. Yeah, 100 percent. Season four, we're off and running as you and I are chatting on Zoom here which we usually yes. talk by phone and record by phone. So I get to see your smiling, happy face. Yeah, I'm happy Weird. because it's Friday. The day that we are recording is a Friday, finally. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But it, the long-awaited debut of season four, and it's almost in the books, is Sam Brownback, former senator, ambassador. I mean, he's probably, I don't know what Sam has not done. He's ambassador, really had all the jobs, senator, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Governor. Yeah. Um, he was really, I mean, yeah, so interesting to talk to and, and it's comes across so clearly how fond he and Bob are of each other. Yeah. 
very close going back to Bob's, you know, time back in Congress the first time, his first six year stint. English 1.0, as Bob likes to joke. So 93 to 98 uh, became fast friends and were were close, you know, remain close over the years, obviously, since Bob left in early 2011. So, yeah, it's awesome to have a an awesome start to season four That's with right. ambassador, governor, senator, congressman. You pick it all. And I think it's really like very interesting, the state of Kansas and the wind economy there. And it just really goes to show that we have so many great resources in this country that can be good for our collective fight on climate change while also returning economic benefit to local and state economies. And I thought it was at your your comment, I believe it was you that you can't run out of wind, Senator. What, what yeah. was it you that said that? I think it sounds like something I would say. <laughs> no, it was it was awesome. It was, it was awesome having Bob a part of it too, because yes. you know Bob oftentimes will come in for an interview here, an interview there, but yeah. starting off with a bang, and we are starting episode one of season four with a bang, and I want you to take the bang all the way out. You know, explain to our folks our listeners, our loyal listeners, what we have in store. So Price, you know, I love a contest and I just really love to try to win things, even though in my 52 years on this earth, I've only won a couple of contests. But anyway, Mm -hmm. listeners, not starting this week and not after next week's episode, but I hope you listen to them both. But starting with our third episode, which will run either February 22nd or 23rd, um, that is the week of President's Day. And also our dear Price will be returning from the Olympics, which is super exciting. So we're going to give him a little, we'll give you a little time to be jet lag, Price, before you get episode three um, actually live. But in episode three, at the end, in our little wrap up, I am going to position a question, offer, I'm going to offer our listeners, three questions, one question about each episode that you will only know if you listened to the episode. This question is not going to be what state did Sam Brambach represent because anyone could Google that, but there will be something specific to the pod that you have to have heard. And then if you um, will have the instructions ready at the time, but there'll be a way to submit your responses. And then from all the correct responses, we'll do a random draw and pick one winner for a $25 gift card um, to Amazon. So super easy. And then every week after that third episode, we'll just continue this, except once we get in a groove, the questions will all be about that week's episode, like a little, you know, were you listening test? Um, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to be asking our listeners all what their favorite flavor of ice cream is, just so that I have something different <laughs> to um, throw into the contest. <clears throat> At the end of the season, this is even more exciting. If you were a previous winner, we'll take all our previous winners. And what we really hope is that you'll take a little selfie with your re- winning and post it on social media and tag us um, just so that we can sort of see you in your glory. But also we'll take all those past winners and we'll have a grand drawing from the winners for a $50 gift card. So lots of opportunities to win price. And I'm pretty excited to um, make this a fun way to incentivize people to listen through to the end of the episode. I think you got to take the selfie and send it to us for uh, for you to be entered officially to win the $50 gift card at the end. Yes, I think you're right. I think that that should be a fair trade. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. That's a fair trade. (laughs) So one of our 18 winners will be drawn to win a $50 gift card at the end of the season. But those 18 winners, you've got to submit a selfie to us and we will you know, post it on our social platforms, but it's very simple. Just take a selfie of you with your uh, gift card that you're going to receive from us with a Republican pen, lapel pen. That is the yes. stipulation. But well, and they didn't even know that they were going to get that. But yes, we are going to also, when we send you the gift card, we're going to give you a little <laughs> swag. So um, with that selfie and your swag and your gift card, we're, it's just a fun way for us to see you. You know, this is a very, obviously, um, a podcast. We're just listening. You're listening to my voice, Price's voice. Um, this is just a chance for us to see you, to see some of our listeners. So kind of putting all the senses together. What could be better than free money, $25 and a chance to win another 50. So loyal listeners, go ahead listen in. If this is your first time, listen up closely because, that first contest, again, will come to you in episode three, the week of February the 22nd, 23rd. That's when uh, episode three will drop, and that's when the first contest will begin. But those three questions will come from episode one, two, and three. So there you go. Uh, we will recap go. it again for you next episode, and we will continue to promote it. But just make sure you three questions listen closely every single week. Have your listening ears on friends have your listening ears on and then so i feel like this is a great chance also to to hype up next week's guest uh, another new yep. um new voice to the pod quill robinson is the vice president for government affairs at acc american Co- uh, conservation coalition i think of them as the kids and i don't mean that in a derogatory way as i expressed to quill but they're not that much older than my kids. And just like my aunt still calls me and my cousins in our fifties, the kids, I just think of people, my son's generation as the kids. Anyway, they are phenomenal, right? Came together, decided to form this coalition. Um, They are really rapid fire, just taking the hill by storm. And Quill has a really fascinating background, having worked in Washington state on the carbon tax initiative there. And so there was so much I didn't know about him going in. And it's always fun. You know, it's fun to do an interview with somebody like Senator Brownback, who you um, have experience with and have worked with and can, you know, Google some of the accomplishments of. And then there's somebody like Quill, who was really a a new um, a a new person to me. I've worked with him a little bit, but didn't know him well. And so it's fun to, to get to know somebody through the course of an interview. So tune in next week, listeners for Quill Robinson. And then um, from there, we'll, you know, mine for a good question for our contest. And week three, we'll, as we've said, get that contest going. If you are a first time listener, make sure you download, listen, subscribe. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, wherever your favorite place is to get your weekly podcast. Just search EcoRight Speaks. Hit the download button. We'd love a review on Apple Podcast. Um, you can hit however many stars you think that we are worthy. Hopefully, it'll be five, if not more. Just kidding. Five is the most you can do. But hopefully, you will give us high marks and tell us what you like, what you don't like. Um, so download, listen, to subscribe as we will have a new podcast to you every Tuesday. Also, interested in upcoming events, if you would like somebody from our team to participate, please drop us a line. 
You can do that in a myriad of ways, price at republican.org, Chelsea at republican.org. You can let us just go to republican.org. We are easily accessible and reachable. But if you're interested in Bob Inglis, a member of our team, participating in an event that you might have going on in your local community, especially virtually, those are really easy to do. We would love to work with you and talk with you about what you have going. So drop us a line as we move forward in 2022, but we are moving forward. As we conclude episode one, Chelsea, we will do it again next week. See you then, Chris. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.